Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this session of the Commonwealth Club. Uh, my name is Sean Randolph. I'm Senior Director at the Bay Area Council Economic Institute. And we are pleased to welcome you to this program on the future of the Bay Area's innovation economy as we come out of the global pandemic. Uh, this is a topic that I work on a lot, dealing with investors, startup companies, technology companies, and companies from around the world that are here. And it's really central to the future of our economy, which is widely recognized as the leading global innovation economy and center of technology, innovation, and startup activity and venture investment. Uh, it's much in our DNA, but like a lot of other things, it's changing with the pandemic. And our conversation this morning is going to focus on what has changed and what we can expect uh, in the year or perhaps several years ahead. Uh, one year into the pandemic, we're looking forward to coming out of it. But we know that the world we come into is going to look different in some respects than what we considered normal before. Uh, before the, we think this is only a year ago, it seems like, in a, like, a, like a, an age. Uh, the economy was booming, our highways were choked with cars, we were dealing with congestion, uh, home prices and rents were skyrocketing, the highest in the country. Some people thought maybe there was too much going on in the area. Um, Office rents were peaking uh, in Silicon Valley in San Francisco, and now we're seeing uh, a ton of subway space coming on the San Francisco market. Our roads, although they're coming back with cars, unfortunately, are uh, once again filling up. But uh, we know that companies and a lot of technology workers and others are leaving. So what's the road ahead? Uh, what is taking us down that road and how can we influence uh, the road we actually end up taking to continue uh, to support this region's economy. It's the number one innovation economy in the world. And for that discussion, we've got probably two of the best qualified people in the region to uh, share our views with their views with us. Uh, Jennifer Stokovic is the executive director of SF City. It's an organization that's been around since 2012. Uh, that helps technology companies in San Francisco have a voice on policy and interact with, uh, with government, uh, especially around local issues that affect uh, the tech sector in the city itself. Uh, also, Ahmad Thomas is the CEO of the Silicon Valley Leadership Group that has played a very, very important leadership role in the Silicon Valley area for many years, representing more than 350 companies uh, that work together to strengthen competitiveness and business growth in Silicon Valley. So we couldn't be more pleased to have Jennifer and Ahmad with us to discuss these issues. Uh, just one housekeeping uh, note. Uh, before we get started, if you have a question for any of us, please use the YouTube chat feature. Uh, those questions then will be sent uh, on to me by our friends in the Commonwealth Club, and we'll get to as many of them as possible before the, uh, the morning is up. So with that, uh, let's go into the first question. And since we're at one year in the pandemic now, and there's light at the end of the tunnel, fortunately, uh, could maybe each one of you share with us what your priorities were, 
what the world looked like to you in Silicon Valley and in San Francisco one year ago before the lockdown and how your priorities have changed. What were you focused on 12 months ago? And what are the top things that you're focused on today, especially as we look forward to a a reopening? So maybe we'll start with you, Jennifer. Well, first off, to the Commonwealth Club, thank you for having me here today. It's a pleasure to speak with you, both Sean and, and Ahmed. This is a topic that we have been focusing on at SF City for pretty much a year now. It is, it's pretty crazy to think that it's been an entire year since we've seen the shift. Um, I can tell you a year ago today, when we were just starting to really understand what was happening with the pandemic, we were still squarely focused on some of our more traditional pre-pandemic issues. So everything from housing policy, how can we um, build more housing? That is a huge issue for all of our membership because they have so many employees that are coming into the area. We were also looking at some big regional transportation policy wins at the time. Uh, Transportation was actually becoming really close to top of mind for a lot of folks, especially tech companies in the area at the time. Of course, now we're looking at completely empty highways and that seems so long ago. Um, And of course, you know, another big policy area was taxes, regulations. Um, at the time, we were looking at how we could figure out a step forward for San Francisco's tax system. And since then, things have changed quite a bit. So first off, there was three new taxes that did pass in San Francisco in November. Uh, that was certainly not something that we had on the horizon a year ago. Um, we also have been dealing with a lot of different uh, efforts around how we're going to reopen the city safely. In particular, you know. The city's been boarded up for the better part of a year, and um, especially in areas downtown, how we're going to reactivate that economy. Um, We've heard upwards of 80% of some areas, the small businesses and restaurants have gone under. Uh, Obviously, of course, we have heard about some public safety uh, issues that are going on downtown and in other areas. Um, Unfortunately, another case that just came out this morning um, with with an elderly Asian woman, of course, down on Market Street. So public safety has actually emerged as one of the really big issues that our members are looking at and how we're going to turn the downtown back on and really get the the city revived in a way that it looks like it did pre-pandemic. So those are the types of things that we're not... um, I don't think that's what you would expect a lot of tech companies to be specifically focused on, but it has changed quite a bit and the city's dynamics have changed quite a bit. And we now know that the way that people are going to go back to the office and the future of work is permanently changed. And we can talk a little bit more about what those permanent changes look like in a little bit, but when offices do turn back on, I think Ahmed would agree with me, they're going to look different than they did before. So that being said, Ahmed, I will hand it over to you. Yeah, uh, thank you so much, Jennifer. And, and Sean, I'm grateful to be here today. I, I should say right at the top, uh, being married to a healthcare worker, I would give a huge shout out and thank you to all of our healthcare workers. Looking back over the last year, this has had such a, a detrimental impact on our communities. We've had so many heroes like our healthcare workers, our, our teachers, folks on the front line step up. And I want to make sure here one year in to acknowledge that here at the outset in my experience, would be similar to to Jennifer's in in many ways, but also very personally, I stepped into this job here as CEO six months ago. So between a pandemic, uh, a reckoning on race in America, an an economic economic downturn, obviously driven by the uh, systematic shakeup we've had due to this pandemic, 
it's been quite a lot to to manage stepping into a role like this. Uh, in the past, uh, under Carl Guardino, who was our CEO for uh, 23 years, we were extremely engaged around the uh, innovation economy's biggest challenges, the biggest challenges in the region. Uh, all the items that Jennifer talked about, and I would say in particular, pre-pandemic transportation would probably be uh, at or near the top of that list. Now, for me, coming in in, in mid-August, pandemic, uh, diversity issues, and everything undergird by business competitiveness in, in some way, shape, or form, which I know that we'll be talking about today. And business competitiveness takes all forms, housing infrastructure, transportation, tax policy, the regulatory environment, frankly, the, uh, the, the climate and how businesses are portrayed, all of that is under that umbrella. So I've been pretty busy these, these first six months in, but it has been quite a unique, unique experience stepping into a role like this with so much happening in the world. Thanks very much, Ahmad, and thanks, Jennifer. Um, you know, I think we, we see a lot of the same thing from the Bay Area Council. When I think back a year, uh, the top priorities have been for a long time housing and transportation, and, and housing uh, is perhaps more important than ever because it's it's one of the drivers of the cost here, which is pushing people away faster than ever. But transportation, we were figuring out how to build capacity uh, to anticipate growth and demand. And now it's what's the viability and survivability of our transportation systems. Uh, so big change in the, uh, in, in the dialogue, although those issues obviously haven't gone away. Uh, so you both run membership organizations and you work directly with member businesses. Uh, how does the world, do you think, look from their standpoint? So they're doing their planning. Now we're into 2021, obviously a, an important transition year. People are thinking about 2022. Uh, these kinds of issues we've begun to talk about, if you put yourself in the, in the seat of uh, maybe a typical CEO, if there's such a thing, uh, how are they seeing uh, the reopening process and, and how are they seeing, you know, their role here at, as Bay Area companies and, and, and their future as Bay Area companies? So I can I could start. I can um, talk a little bit about what we're seeing in San Francisco. So unequivocally, there there's a lot of office downsizing that's going on right now. Um, so this time a year ago, we were looking at about a three percent office vacancy rate three. And now we're looking at almost 20% office vacancy rate. So that has changed markedly in the last year. Uh, we have a, the equivalent of 10 plus Salesforce towers on the market right now, just to give you an idea of the amount of space. So certainly what does the office look like when you reopen it and how do you use office space differently? Um, a lot of the companies that we're speaking to are going to be moving towards more of a either hybrid or remote first model. So we have spoken to a lot of different companies about what does this mean? And in general, many employees are saying, we want to have the ability to come to an office. So not I'm not, I'm not going to 100% go move to Colorado and live in the mountains forever. But we also want to do the majority of our work at home. So we're looking at, you know, maybe employees are coming in 20 or 30% of the time on a weekly or monthly basis. So what that means for turning your offices back on is, the set desks, the nine to five, Monday to Friday, really seems to be going to the wayside. Even uh, before we got on this this call, we were just talking about how Ford 
you know, one of America's leading employers has now moved to a remote first model um, as of their announcement this morning. So it's clear that that Monday to Friday, nine to five model has, has really just gone away. And what does an office look like in 2021 and beyond is something we're trying to figure out. And, and we're speaking very closely with a lot of tech founders and CEOs. Um, certainly, it is going to look like a little bit less of an office footprint, potentially. Um, a lot of companies are moving towards a decentralized or a hub and spoke model. So for folks that are not familiar, there's essentially three different ways that you can run your, your office structure. So you can have a headquarters, which is what Traditionally, many companies in San Francisco and the Valley have had, and you know that's that mothership model, so to speak. Um, of course, Ahmad deals with a, a lot of companies that that have those big headquarter presences down the peninsula. And then there are two other ways to run a company. Um, so one of them being a hub and spoke model, where you really create hubs um, all around, you know, the country or the world that are kind of um, full offices. So rather than being an extension or satellite office of the headquarters, they probably actually have an executive or leadership that sits within them. Um, so rather than everybody being concentrated in one spot, they're spread out all over. And of course, the last model would be decentralized, where you've just completely decentralized your workforce. And the most interesting thing that we found was that in January, Initialized Capital did a study that found that three quarters of all founders in their tech portfolio are moving towards a decentralized or hub and spoke model, meaning that they are not going to have a headquarters going forward. And that is going to be a very, very big change for offices and how they are used in San Francisco and in the Valley. And what I would add, there are probably two pieces when I answer that question. One is just looking at the, the rote logistics of the moment. Uh, and for us, there's a lot of um, engagement around vaccine logistics questions related to uh, where we can have clarity, for example, for our uh, essential workers in manufacturing or critical infrastructure. Uh, certainly no one here at any of our large companies is talking about jumping the line. We're talking about trying to understand where uh, regulations maybe six months ago had certain workers falling into place, you know, phase 1B, for example, for the manufacturing workers. And where we are today, it's really unclear where some of those workers might fall in the, the vaccine chain, which is incredibly important to many of our companies with manufacturing operations here in our region to ensure those employees are safe every day. So a lot of work is spent, uh, Santa Clara County primarily, San Mateo County as well, just around the vaccine communication issues and helping related to logistics and connecting dots wherever we can to add immediate value to our companies. I would say looking at, uh, you know, maybe longer term issues, certainty, Sean, to your question about planning and forecasting uh, when our, our executives are doing budgets is incredibly important. Uh, so for us, we've been advocating at SVLG uh, for a, a moratorium, some type of multi-year uh, statement that we will not have any new business taxes. Uh, now, it's not a, a deep commentary on tax structure, which I know we can talk about. Uh, it's more of a comment on the situation we face, looking at the cost-benefit dynamic here of doing business in California versus other states coming out of a pandemic, which... Uh, as we all know, has just devastated so many segments of our society, particularly the communities of color here in our region, and seeing how our businesses can plan to uh, thrive and grow here. And I think having that type of certainty is important. 
Now, for many of our companies, um, Eric Yuan of Zoom, uh, CEO of Zoom, is the vice chair of our board. Zoom has become ubiquitous, a part of our every day. And it's uh, one example of a company that's helped us be resilient and helped so many of our businesses find ways to not only stabilize operations, but be more productive. So to Jennifer's point, I do think when we look at the future of work and the future of how our companies thrive, it is that mix of being able to harness all the good that comes from our uh, innovation ecosystem and the hub of technology that we have here, mixed with how we harness the technologies to be as efficient as, and uh, productive as we can in a cost-effective manner. To add to Ahmed's point, I would say the, the tax structure is a huge thing that we've been dealing with. As I mentioned earlier, you know, we were looking at one potential tax reform effort and we ended up getting three on the ballot that all passed in San Francisco. So the volatility and the instability that we're facing when there's always new taxes that are emerging is a huge barrier that we face as a city because the worst thing that you can do as a company is have that lack of predictability and that lack of stability and forecasting for your budgeting. It's not a matter of, are the taxes too high? Are the taxes too low? That's, of course, something we can talk about in our competitiveness as a, as a region, but it's more so, how can you predict out three years of budgeting if there's a new tax every single year or more, three new taxes in this um, past year alone? Yes, certainty matters. Yeah, we'll, de we'll definitely come back and drill in a little bit more on, on the tax-related issues, especially as we get closer to the end of the discussion, talk about, like, what can we do together uh, to kind of pass through this transition and come out stronger. Uh, so let's hold, hold that thought because it's an important one. Um, one of the things, and the thing about the innovation economy in particular, you know, we for decades and decades, We've benefited here in the Bay Area as, as what most in the world agree is it's the premier global technology and innovation economy, uh, really sort of an epicenter. And anywhere in the world you go, people will say Silicon Valley, Bay Area, that, that's it. That's the model. And, and the model benefited from concentration. Like there's just a lot of people and a lot of technology packed into what's really a pretty small geography. So the intensity of that interaction uh, between people in different disciplines and people in organizations and between academia and, and companies and investors, all of that being crammed together has created this amazing dynamic. And, and, and now we're seeing that gravitational pull, uh, which was actually over, able for many companies to overcome some of the negatives, you know, the cost of living, crowded transportation, all of that just the density of that really pulled companies in. So now, now, as you're pointing out, we're seeing sort of centrifugal forces uh, driven by, uh, by remote work, uh, sort of pulling people and companies out, outward. So as that dispersal takes place, it seems to be an open question, how far is that going to go? Um, and the question I would put to you both, maybe starting with you, Ahmad, is do you see this outward flow as um, maybe something short-term, something we're seeing as um, an immediate reaction to our outcome of the pandemic, or, or, or do you see it as something that, that this longer term uh, we're going to have to deal with or deal with the causes? And, and to what extent are, are you seeing in Silicon Valley sort of a, a, a net outflow of uh, 
technology workers uh, or technology re related companies? Well, it's certainly a very big issue right now. In my first six months on the job, you know, two of our most iconic uh, Silicon Valley companies uh, relocated, moving their headquarters out of out of Silicon Valley. Uh, certainly, top of mind and a very uh, significant issue for me and our membership. Now, there are a few ways that that I look at this, and it's very important to note that we need to take steps now to ensure that data points don't become a pattern, right? So capital flows follow, they follow value, um, profitability, and, and talent, right? All of which we have in spades in Silicon Valley. So we see that even through this very dynamic and challenging period over the last year, our technology companies have been resilient. Our startup economy has been resilient. I think uh, the last statistic I saw over half of the IPOs that we saw last year uh, came from companies in our region, about 16 billion in IPOs from uh, Silicon Valley and the Bay Area. So there's no doubt that we have an innovation infrastructure that's, that's robust and I believe the best in the world. What I think is concerning, which is also an opportunity for us in the future, is that the cost benefit dynamic is perhaps for the first time beginning to concretely shift away from us. So when I talked about all those great things, the, the, the talent, you know, access to capital, the, the value uh, added and created by our companies, that is being outweighed to an extent that is very concerning by the negatives, uh, in particular, the affordability, the cost of, of living here and the cost of doing business here. And as we have lack of certainty as to where those costs are going or how far those costs will go up, it disadvantages us versus other states. You know, I, I think uh, Sam Licardo, our, our mayor in San Jose, is, has written about this and, and I think has some very good thinking here where we look at companies that are actually doubling down and investing here in our region, but moving their headquarters out of state to be places where their policies that are more in line with uh, being accretive to their bottom line and their value proposition. And to me, that's very, very telling. Now we got great news today. You know, Google announced a, a billion dollars in, in investment in real estate, looking at infrastructure right here in California. We've got the Google project in downtown San Jose and Deardon, uh, using them as another example, you know, which is a, a billion dollar project that's taking us away from perhaps the model of the past around investment and around how we looked at uh, a corporate headquarters in a community to a shared economic model which to me is much more viable uh, for that project in particular. There are dollars that are allocated to uh, community groups and ensure that uh, communities of color and uh, the un underrepresented working families also get to participate in that success. And I think those are examples where we can't have new build and new investment in ways that are nested in our community and adding value across all of those segments. But unless the cost benefit dynamic is addressed, uh, I, I do fear that those data points will continue to grow. Great point. Uh, what about you, Jennifer? What are you saying? So I think that there's something really interesting about what's happening with this, this tech migration, and we don't quite know where it's going to land, but there's really two different areas where we're seeing migration. And it, it's important to understand that the policies and what we need to advocate for really differ, because on one hand, there is the companies themselves. How do we remain a tax competitive region for companies to keep their headquarters. Um, to Ahmed's point, 
there has been a number of shifts where, you know, you've got some really loud folks that are leaving like Tesla, but some other quieter moves as well outside of either the San Francisco Bay area or outside of California for tax reasons. You also have the other end of the exodus, so to speak, or which is the tech workers or the workers in general that are in these high skilled jobs. And so when we think about how do we balance the two needs, obviously we know that we need to have the kinds of building and taxes and everything needed to promote this as an economy where you can grow your business for CEOs and executives and the board of directors. But we also need to think about these employees because they are now given this opportunity where they can still work for these amazing employers anywhere in the country. So how do we make sure that they have somewhere to grow themselves? And that's a little bit of a deeper conversation because that's when we really get to um, to Ahmed's point, you know, some of the, the goals around making more diverse, equitable communities, making communities where people can actually afford to live. Um, more than 70% of tech employees can't afford to buy in San Francisco. And you can juxtapose that across um, all San Francisco households where 82% cannot afford to buy in San Francisco. So tech workers are really in a, they're in a different category, I think, than a lot of people tend to think about. Um, they are increasingly looking for places where they can settle down. They're increasingly looking for places to have families. They're not 22-year-olds playing ping pong anymore. Like we have matured past that stage. And so I think the region really needs to think about how do we make this a place that you want to grow your business? But also, how do you make this a place where you can actually call home? And that's that's the million dollar question for this uh, migration we're looking at. We have like 90,000 or so USPS address changes outside of San Francisco that have happened in the last year. So for folks that aren't you know too familiar, that's about 10% of the San Francisco population. So about 10% of San Francisco has changed their address and moved outside of the city. Will they come back? That is still to be seen. To what percent will they come back? Um, to give you an example, in 2001, when we had the dot-com crash, we lost almost 30,000 people in one summer alone. So we have seen these kinds of exoduses before, and we were able to come back from them, but we did not have the option to work remote permanently then. And that's the new thing that we're dealing with. We've never dealt with this as an industry where there truly is that third option. It's not just boom, bust, binary. It's pivot to remote first. And how do we remain competitive as a region in that new ecosystem? Yeah, and I, I would add, you know, there are limits to public budgets and where public policies can solve the problems, the challenges that Jennifer and I are, are speaking about today, in my view. So one thing that you'll often hear from me is how we can be more, well, one, entrepreneurial in our public policies, but two, how we can utilize private capital, uh, market-based solutions to be part of a future that is setting forth uh, new dynamics and new templates for how we do infrastructure. You know, if we look at affordable housing, transportation has its own set of challenges because th those projects are usually so big that you do require some type of public subsidy. But affordable housing can be fully financed, you know, tax exempt, for example, meeting certain criteria with private dollars or with private capital. There's an entire movement going on around social impact investing, where you have large impact focused institutional investors, where there's more capital than projects to be funded. I, I know it. I was an investment banker before doing this, focused on deals like that. 
And I think we, we need to take in and harness this innovative spirit that's made California and Silicon Valley what it is. We need to bring that to our public policy. And I think, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. I 100% agree. Absolutely. There's so much that we can be doing to better utilize the resources, particularly with, our, with the tech economy. We, we in the city of San Francisco have some departments still running on MS-DOS in the capital of innovation in the world. Just to give you an example of how much bureaucracy and red tape we really have that is holding us back, I, I think there's some tremendous opportunities here. There's a question, Jennifer, also, which for both of you related to something that you just mentioned about uh, how important the cost of housing is uh, as as tech workers and others think about where they're going to live in the future. And one of the things that concerns me about the companies that, that are leaving, and of course, obviously not everybody's leaving, but you have certain you know name brand companies, Oracle, HP Enterprise, going. And some people might say, well, they've been around a long time. But really, the, so many of the impressive companies in our region, both the city and Silicon Valley, that are global name brands today were startups five or 10 years ago. And the startup system here really has been a wellspring of companies that have grown to be enormous and dynamic and global companies. So I think we, we rely to an important degree, more than any place else in the world, probably, on this startup system generating uh, important companies that employ people and, and, and deliver value. And when startups leave, it's pretty rare that they make the headlines. Uh, but recently, I've been talking to you know the founder of $1 billion company, way above a billion now, that came from another country, started the her company here maybe 10 years ago, and she advises people from her country uh, startups coming here about how to get going. And she told me last week, well, you know, when I talk to them, I advise them to think twice about coming to the Bay Area in California. And she said, in fact, you know, if when I started my company, I knew what I know now, maybe I, maybe I wouldn't have done it here, even though I'm grateful to the state for everything that it's done. Uh, I spoke to another company. Um, this was a senior tech guy, but his family are all entrepreneurs. They, they've all founded, three of them have run companies in the Bay Area. And in the last year, one had left for Israel, one had left for Miami, the other had left for New York. And so it's hard to put your head, to wrap your head around what are the numbers because it's impossible to trace. But on a big scale, anecdotally, I hear about these younger companies kind of drifting out to, 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 to other places. And a lot of that, of course, has to do with the cost of living that you mentioned, Jennifer, and the cost of housing and wanting more space and wanting to live so where you've got a family now, you can maybe afford a house and afford more space. So I'm concerned not just with the big name companies, but also the smaller ones. You know, we think about companies like Pinterest that grew up here, a startup not long ago. When a company like that says we're going, I think we really have to take notice. So there's really two questions here. I'd welcome any thoughts you have about uh, what you may be seeing about younger, smaller startup companies. But that raises the question about who, who's the competition. So I know, Jennifer, you've been doing programs on what's going on with Miami or with New York or, or, or with Austin. Um, Nashville is being talked about now. Uh, we know there's some leakage into the Southwest. So uh, when we think about that, so who, who's the competition and how how would you rank them in terms of, of their potential to draw companies and tech workers from here? And, and 
just how serious do you think that competition is uh, or, or, or might become, if, if, especially if we didn't address the issues you've started to raise? So there was a recent study that I referenced earlier, the initialized capital study that specifically asked, where is the best place to start your tech company? And the answer was not San Francisco. The answer was not Austin. The answer was not Miami. More than 40% of founders said the best place to start your tech company today in 2021 is in the cloud. So I think it's really important that we understand that we are facing not a company's move to another city uh, necessarily as the dynamic, but companies just may never have a presence in a city altogether. And they may have this decentralized remote workforce. And so um, I think that that first and foremost is something we need to think about is how do we adapt if, if companies want to be remote first, how do we be the kind of city that can adapt to have these types of remote work hubs, right? Or these hub and spoke models. Um, but in terms of like actual cities that are potentially, you know, vying for our spot, I, we hear a lot about Austin. We hear a lot about Miami. The fact of the matter is they're quite far behind in terms of like creating like a true tech ecosystem. We just did a, a talk on this earlier this week, as, as you mentioned, Sean, where we talked about how you need to have at least three $10 billion uh, tech companies to create like a true tech ecosystem. And there's actually only one city in America currently that has that um, other than San Francisco, and that would be New York City. So I do think that New York uh, is going to see a lot of growth. New York is starting to grow their own homegrown companies, too. Uh, historically, you know, 10 plus years ago, or even five plus years ago, New York was seen as like your satellite office. And, you know, the West Coast is where everybody is, probably somewhere where either Ahmed or, or um, as our city folks are, their, their folks are lying. Um, but we now are seeing a lot, a lot of companies get started in these new cities. So I think New York is going to really benefit from some of these changes. Um, you're going to see Austin probably make some great gains because they've been working on this for the last five or 10 years or so, really trying to bring um, larger presence in. Facebook is doing a lot of expansion in Austin in particular. Uh, Miami, of course, they're, they're very vocal about it, but they've still got a long way to go. In general, I don't think it's an us versus them, because I think that the founders that were already looking for a new opportunity out of the Bay Area, they're just going to go to these new areas or they're going to go to remote. The Bay Area is still going to remain the innovation capital for many of the, the mainstream tech companies that are already here. It's still going to be the best place to get talent, but we're also just going to see new ecosystems that are growing as well. Yeah, this notion of an inflection point, I think, is so important uh, to, to understand and also to really um, to capture as an opportunity for our elected leaders, for business leaders here in California, where we have uh, a leadership position that I think is pretty unparalleled. You know, I'm obviously biased, but I, I think very highly of our innovation cluster and technology innovation economy in Silicon Valley. However, there's a real recognition if changes are not made coming out of this pandemic, uh, we could really weaken our competitive position. Uh, that's why I think inflection point is so important because it's never been uh, such a stark reality in my view than it is now. And this reflects the feedback I hear from our business leaders and executives. Uh, now, this is not a zero-sum game uh, in my view, which I think reflects what Jennifer said. There's enough water in the innovation well for, for everyone to have a drink. Um, you know, I think we should have the biggest cup. But there's uh, there in my view, it is fine for companies to do their thing in Texas or Florida or wherever else they're they're going to do it. 
Uh, we just need to ensure that we're doing all we can for our companies in California to thrive and grow. I would look at our tax code and have specific uh, e either tax credits or tax holidays around startup investment, targeted investment in small businesses, or even looking at our, um, our start startups and how we might be able to claw back taxes when they're profitable. We've had a lot of conversations around that with executives uh, within our group. And, you know, I think some of these ideas are reflected in what, what I've been doing, you know, our, our board, what our executives have been reflecting here at SVLG in, in the last six months. A big focus on the innovation economy with startups, you know, an entire ecosystem we're trying to create within SVLG uh, that has a focus on underrepresented founders, but also having policy feedback and policy shaping from that segment of our economy. When we talk about diversity and diverse leadership with Sean, you know, Jim Wonderman at Bay Area Council, partnering with us on 25 by 25, I think that's accretive to the bottom line. Having more diverse leaders uh, makes our companies more competitive. And I, I firmly believe that, that those are money and business issues. And then ultimately, when we talk about taxes, taking a baby step first and saying, Let's let's just agree that we're going to take a period here and not increase taxes because it's not to, uh, again, a point that Jennifer made, I think, very well. It's not debating about our, our taxes or equity structure. It's a, a straightforward and clear statement that coming out of this pandemic, facing an inflection point, trying to be more entrepreneurial on how we might restructure our policies, this isn't the time to shift that cost-benefit dynamic further away from us. That's really helpful, Ahmad, because it does transition us back to where almost we started the conversation around uh, what, do we, what do we need to do going forward uh, to deal with the issues that are, are presently negative. Some were negative before, but maybe they're more negative now coming out of the pandemic. Um, and, you know, the types of topics that come up again and again are, are our housing availability, uh, homelessness, which is more and more a factor, I think, for people coming to and living here in the Bay Area. I think the intractability of it or the lack of progress on that, I think it is, it's, it's playing a role in, in the image of our competitiveness and our ability to deal with issues here in the region and, and in the state. Uh, then, as we were saying, taxation, regulation, not to say that regulation is bad per se, but sort of cumulatively, it, it, it tends to make a package where as I've talked to the companies, and, and these are, are sometimes you know, younger companies too, they haven't been around a long time. There, there seems to be a, a feeling that uh, business really doesn't have much of a voice uh, locally and, and in the state, that not to say that local government or state government is, is anti-business, but maybe it's kind of indifferent to business, sort of takes companies and business for granted, whereas we, we know that a lot of other states don't, and, and they do everything they can to attract, but also to support business growth growth where they are. So if, if we look ahead, and again, we're, we're coming out of, of the pandemic, God willing, and and hopefully by summer and then beyond that, we're, we're, we have a new footing and we're going forward. Uh, if you were to list... You can choose your number, two, three, four, five top things that you think we need to do as a community here and, and hopefully do it together with, with, with partners in the community, partners of local government. What do you think the, the, those top things would be? 
So in terms of the top things that, that we need to recover, I think um, Ahmed's point, of course, that we need to have some sort of moratorium on taxes is extremely important. We need to be able to tell our companies, you are recovering from what, what may be the worst business collapse that they have ever experienced, right? Some of our companies laid off as, as much as 25% of their workforce. They need to know that they have a place where they can rebuild. And part of that means they need to know that they can rely upon the Bay Area's tax structure and regulations to um, reflect that. So I think number one, that would be a huge policy goal for us. Uh, number two, we need to commit to building more housing at every single level. In the last five years, we created eight jobs for every one housing unit in the area. So we are just shockingly out of whack. So we need real city leadership to agree. Um, I think that this could range from everything from, you know, there's there's things that Senator Wiener is working on um, where we can build up housing around high transit areas. Uh, those are all the types of things where we need like real change and we need it to happen now. And then of course, the last thing is we need real solutions around those that are experiencing homelessness and we need real solutions on how we are going to make our city safe again. So this in particular is a, is a San Francisco issue, I think. Um, Ahmed obviously covers a much larger peninsula with, with, with different environments, but being in a very specific urban environment, we need to figure out how we can get our streets to be safe. We need to make sure that folks are receiving shelter. Uh, we do not provide shelter to, at the rate of any other major city. New York City uh, provides shelter to more than 90% of folks every single night. And we are not coming even close to that. I don't even think we're at 10% in San Francisco. So we need real solutions so that folks do not have to be living on the street, so that our streets can be safe and clean again for everybody so that we can turn these offices back on. So those would be my top three. Of course, there's many more. Um, I do think the, the regulations and, and how we can bring tech into the solutions, especially through some of the government public-private partnerships that are available is a huge one as well. Um, bridging the digital divide, 5G infrastructure, all those types of, of goals as well. Yeah, I, I mean, and Sean, for us, it's really one, which is business competitiveness, but it, it touches on everything that Jennifer's shared there with a, a lens, I think, in particular around housing affordability and taxes, all of this done with a lens toward equity and how we can uh, be most uh, helpful, I think, in di kind of directing investments to communities of color in those areas of our cities that have been most neglected. And, and cities do matter. In fact, next month, we're having an entire event around it called Cities Matter around housing and transportation investment. Uh, but the, the MO, or maybe maybe I'd say my MO, is to be disruptive. As I said, I, I, I'm new in this role, and I would really encourage uh, business leaders to engage around the issues that we're talking about here. We need more uh, hybrids like myself engage around these issues. And when I say hybrid, you know, I'm someone who, who has a, a background as a business executive, uh, but also has worked around public policy and, and understands these issues. And uh, our voice, I would say, is not uh, as strong as it should be. And so with more engagement, uh, and I think with more innovative thinking, not being afraid to be disruptive, we can put ourselves on a much better glide path. Because if we don't, I think we're seeing the data points of these companies leaving. Uh, it should be very concerning for many of our uh, executives and community leaders, because I don't think it will stop without change and without changes that are enacted very soon. 
We have a question here uh, from our audience. It's actually two two questions. One is, uh, is there a role that the state can play in addressing these issues? So when you look at, you engage with local partners here, but you obviously engage, especially you, Amat, I know in Sacramento. Uh, what should that dialogue be around? And the other question is, there's a lot of funding, of course, now through the American Rescue Plan, just passed by Congress. Uh, some going to come to the Bay Area. Have either of you had any sort of engagement around the dispersal of that funding and how any of that funding might help advance any of the objectives we've been talking about this morning and support the region? Well, I can say on the second question, we had uh, one of our members of Congress uh, in front of our leaders last week and got a pretty good briefing around where those dollars are going, which uh, it's much needed. Uh, and I'm very encouraged that we're able to get that type of investment in funding coming and coming soon. Uh, in particular, if we look at Fairbox uh, related to transportation, if we look at the direct payments to our um, individuals in our community uh, with lower income who have really been hit so disproportionately, I think all of that is very, very encouraging. Uh, at the state level, there is a tremendous amount of potential. And I think that's where you go back to the point of companies doubling down and reinvesting in the region who may be taking operations for tax purposes outside of the state. And that just goes to tell you that uh, when we cite the IPO statistics, when we talk about the talent generated, when we look at our great research universities of Stanford and Santa Clara and, and uh, Cal, um, uh, you know, San Francisco, San Francisco State, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, there's an ecosystem here that I, I continue to believe is unparalleled, but where the state can be helpful is in helping us build an innovation infrastructure that provides more incentive around direct investment for our startups, around direct investment for research and development, around direct investment, frankly, for expansion here in California. And that is a side that's on the business tax ledger, uh, ledger and also a side on the uh, employee an employer tax ledger, because as Jennifer noted, this cost structure is untenable, not only from the employer standpoint, but for the employees who have to afford to live here. Add to your uh, first point, Sean, your first question. I think that a lot of the housing solutions that we are seeking are going to have to be spearheaded in Sacramento. So that is a huge place where the, the state can play a role. And to echo Ahmed's uh, sentiments around how we are investing in new startups. Pretty much every single state in this country right now is putting together some sort of incentive plan. Other cities are putting together incentive plans where they are attracting not just startups with investment, remote workers with investments. There are a number of cities right now that will literally pay remote workers to come live there. So we are very, very um, far behind when it comes to those types of incentives to help startup growth, um, to help employees find a place to, to live and, and to thrive. So I think that the state has a huge opportunity there. And we have such an amazing research, our research uh, universities that we have, we, it's unparalleled. So there's no reason why we can't incentivize those folks to stay in our state to grow their companies. That actually gets us to uh, what might be a, a wrap-up question. I would sort of flag that uh, we have a few minutes left. If anybody has a final question to submit, this would be a good time to do it. But, you know, we, we, we've been talking about companies leaving, but uh, I think what you said, Jennifer, just sort of 
turns the corner a little bit because without being complacent in any way, we have this amazing innovation economy. And I think anybody in the world would still recognize that this is the place to be, uh, the first among many probably. I know that we've sort of taken a hit talking to people in other countries. They're watching what's going on. They're very aware that some companies are leaving. They're very aware that some startups are leaving. And they're asking the same question we are today. Uh, well, what's the future of Silicon Valley? Will it still be the place we want to go to, the place we need to go to? So I think that's very much in play. I mean, how we manage this will really affect how and whether we continue to attract all that talent that you mentioned earlier that's so critical to, to our growth. But our, our assets are just remarkable. You know, it, it is, as you were saying, it, it's Stanford, it's Cal, it's UCSF, one of the top biomedical campuses in the world. It, it's UC Davis, uh, made the top ag tech university in the United States. Uh, we still have the largest pool and will continue to have the largest pool of venture capital in the United States, especially growth capital. And so when you look at growing companies, where do you come? Well, this is where that money is at. And we have this really diverse workforce of people from everywhere in the world that really drives innovation. The level of talent available here is really unparalleled. So the, and we have an attitude, sort of a problem solving can do aggressive attitude that I think really pops the Bay Area out uh, ahead of almost any other place in the, in the country or, or, or the world. So when I step back and look at it and, and investors who I ask the same question to say the same thing, uh, it seems that we have a remarkable stock of assets where if we manage them right and we do the right thing, suggests that we should be able to remain the world's leading innovation economy for a very long time to come, even if activity becomes more dispersed. And maybe it's not a bad thing it's dispersed. Having more startups elsewhere in the United States, bringing economic development to other cities in the country, hey, that's great. But I think as you were saying, as long as we remain the center of so much of that activity that comes and goes through the Bay Area, it, that's maybe the critical thing because we've never owned it all. We'll never will own all of it, and that's fine. But how would each of you see the future of the innovation economy here? Are, are, are you reasonably confident? Uh, we've talked about the things that will affect it, um, how strong it comes back or, or not, but uh, what are your own feelings about uh, the kind of innovation economy we might have here two or three or five years from now, depending on how we play our cards? Uh, I would just say, you know, the last time we saw an incredible tech boom was coming out of 2008. The recessions tend to create some of the world's best um, innovations. We've, you know, we're now seeing the fruits of that labor now in the in the last few years of IPOs. Most of those were 2008 companies. So we do have a huge opportunity in this new economy that we're building to bring new startups in. And I'm sure we're going to be seeing a lot more unicorns coming in the next few years. We need to make sure that we have open arms and that they know that that San Francisco and the Bay Area is a place for them to grow because the the stats show that when tech grows, the entire city benefits. You know, every single one of those tech jobs brings like six hundred and fifty thousand dollars towards the city economy. Every single one. Every single tech worker that you bring into San Francisco creates something like four and a half different service sector jobs that are related to it. And so the most important thing to me is we need to show that tech is part of the recovery effort and that tech is going to be um, a partner 
in how we grow the city back um, into the new future. And so I think if we are able to really stand up and city leaders are willing to very externally and, and vocally voice that in a way that other city leaders and other states have, that we can we can get back to pre-pandemic numbers in no time in the next three to five years. But that is only if we make tech part of the solution, not just you know a source of, of tax revenue for us. I'll be fast with three quick bullets. I know we're uh, we're low on time. Uh, you know, the, the the first is I'm extremely bullish on Silicon Valley in the Bay Area. I wouldn't have taken this job six months ago and left what I was doing if I didn't believe that fervently. Uh, second, we've got to do a better job of highlighting our successes. You know, I've sat here and I've talked about all that needs to change, which I think is required to maintain our competitive position. Uh, but you hear uh, and you heard very little from me about all the great things that we're doing. And I think that's indicative of where so many leaders here in the state are. And we should do more to highlight the great things that are happening here in California that show uh, why you should be bullish about what we have going on. And lastly, I would say for our business leaders in particular, using myself as an ex example, uh, let's engage. If you want to be disruptive, if you see California as an innovation lab, if you want public policies that are more entrepreneurial, get involved with uh, these organizations and what we're doing, because your voice matters. And I think uh, it probably matters now a lot more than it did pre-pandemic, given all that we're dealing with. So so thank you, Sean. Those, those would be my thoughts. And again, I appreciate the opportunity today. We have one more question. I think we've got a couple more minutes. We have 65 minutes, like a little bonus at the end there. Um, right. It's a question from the audience, and I think you kind of led us into that, Ahmad. So are uh, our, our, our leaders in government listening? So Mayor Breed, Mayor Licardo, uh, Governor Newsom, members of the legislature, city council, supervisors, but especially, let's say, you know, the mayors and the governor, uh, do you think they're getting the message? Well, if, if I talk about Silicon Valley, yes. I mean, Mayor Licardo uh, sees these issues through a prism of, uh, of this shared economic value model of understanding that helping businesses is helping everyone in our community. Helping businesses is helping solve some of our equity issues. Having city budgets uh, and a general fund that is healthier allows more investment in diverse and underserved communities. So uh, speaking to the, the local leaders who, who I deal with most frequently, I can say unequivocally that he's someone who understands the issues that we're facing. And, and again, I would be very uh, clear in tying the situation that we see here going forward and in investment to the equity issues that we face. They are one and the same in terms of the solution and the opportunity set we have to make progress going forward, in my view, at least. I would say as well to Ahmed's point that the mayors and the governor in this state absolutely are listening. Uh, mayor Breed, of course, has always been a very pragmatic uh, mayor, and she understands the role that business plays. And she understands that the opportunity that business plays as well. A big thing that we have been working on with her for several years now is how we can get those tech jobs and opportunities to the youth of San Francisco, because it's such a, a huge part of how we can build a more inclusive workforce. Uh, with that being said, I don't know um, that necessarily every city leader in San Francisco is listening to to that same message. And that's where the divide really starts to happen. And, you know, I think that that's all I will say on that. But our mayor, of course, is a strong ally and we look forward to continuing to work with her. 
Well, I'm learning from Jennifer being new here, uh, you know, how to be circumscript in, uh, in, in what you share and also being new, I'm building these relationships as well. Uh, I can say we're fortunate to have a mayor in San Jose who is uh, so tied to and so supportive of the innovation economy. But I, I don't think it's speaking out of turn to say that we could do more in California and more in our region to be more supportive of, of businesses. Uh, but with that aim of driving more equity and having more shared economic value across the board. <laughs> Maybe that's the way I'd put it, Sean. I think we've covered a, a lot of ground and, and, and thanks so much. So I, I'd like to thank the Commonwealth Club for hosting this today. Uh, the program is going to be published soon on the Commonwealth Club's website, so www.commonwealthclub.org. Uh, so you'll be able to find it there very soon. Um, in the meantime, it, it's been a great conversation. Thanks so much, Ahmad. Thanks so much, Jennifer. Um, lots to talk about, really critical for the future of our economy and our region. Uh, a lot of great insights to share. I think it would be interesting if one year from now, in March 2022, uh, when hopefully we will be fully out of the pandemic and uh, on some kind of a new footing yet to be determined, we could have this conversation again and uh, see what happened and, and see what progress we've made. And hopefully we will have made progress on these issues by then and will still be uh, the world's leading innovation economy. So with that, thank you very, very much, everybody, for joining us today. And again, thank you, Amada. Thank you, Jim. You've been listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please consider supporting our work and help us bring 500 programs a year to listeners like you. Go to commonwealthclub.org slash donate. Think your way around the world with our travel programs to exciting domestic and international destinations. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live at our events. Thank you for listening and for your support.